Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Continue in that spirit as we study your word now. Lord, your gift to us. I pray we would open up this truth. I pray that the Holy Spirit would just kind of enlighten our minds and, and our ability to see and hear and understand. And then help us, Father, figure out how to apply this to our lives so to live more for you, Father, to be transformed more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in his name. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning and open to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. We are continuing our study through the gospel of Mark, walking through the life of Christ, understanding more about who he is, seeing his miracles, seeing the work that he's done. And we've already seen some pretty incredible things up to this point in our study. And you can go back and listen to those podcasts if you want. But Jesus has calmed the storm. He's raised a girl from the dead. He's cast out demons. On and on the list goes, but this morning marks a little bit of a turning point. We've already kind of seen it last week, and I'm going to talk about that in just a few minutes, but last week and this week, and then as we move over the next couple weeks, especially into Mark chapter 8, things are going to begin to change. Here's what it looks like for us to understand and kind of see where we're going with this. Jesus, up to this point, has done incredible things. We've seen that. But up until this point, Jesus has kind of been in charge of all that's taken place. He's done the miracles. He's done the healing. He's going to do the feeding of the 5,000 this morning that we're going to see. But Jesus is beginning, at least a little bit, to involve his disciples. Right Last week, you may remember, he sent out the 12, and he said to them, Listen, you've seen me do these things. You've seen me cast out demons. You've seen me heal the, the people that are sick. You've seen me cast out the, or, or calm the storm and the wind and the waves. You've seen me do these things. Now I'm going to begin to involve you more and more in the ministry. So he sends out the 12. He challenges them to go. And this morning, kind of in the same vein or the same idea of thought, Jesus is going to use his disciples to accomplish what, what I believe is one of his greatest miracles. Now I want to jump right in this morning because we've got a lot to look at and a lot to think through. And I want you to notice first, if you would, Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 14. Just a little bit of background, just so you're aware of where we are. Jesus, the last time we studied, had sent out the 12. He'd given them authority and power to cast out demons, to preach about the idea of repentance. And this is another example of the sandwich, right? We've talked a lot about this in Mark. Mark uses this technique, uh, kind of like a sandwich technique, where he gives us one story, then he goes to a different story. Then he goes back to the original story. It's kind of an A, B, A. And he does this to tie these things together to help us understand what he's talking about. So he's talked about sending out the 12. That's A. B now is going to be about King Herod. And I want you to notice something that's very important in our understanding this morning. Mark chapter 6, verse 14, the Bible says, King Herod heard of it. Now, it is the disciples, all they've done They've gone out, they've been preaching, they've been healing. Herod hears of it, for Jesus' name had become known. That's interesting. Some said, now watch this, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That's why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah, 
And others said he's a prophet like one of the prophets of old. Now, here's the interesting thing to me. Herod is asking the same basic question that people all through the first century asked, that people all since the first century asked, the question that people still ask today, who is Jesus? Like, who is this guy that's performed these miracles, that has healed these people, that's cast out these demons, that's calmed the storm? Who is this guy? Some say, look at verse 14 again, some say he's John the Baptist. Verse 15, some say he's Elijah. Some say he's a prophet like one of the prophets of old. And so I want you to understand this morning, we're going to kind of tie this together. Jesus is going to do this incredible miracle. We're going to see in just a few minutes. He feeds the 5,000. But Mark is going to, in the process of writing Mark chapter 6, he's going to answer for us again the question of who is Jesus. Now, the summary, I'm not going to spend uh, any time reading uh, the verses on through 29, 16 through 29. Basically, Herod's going to recount the death of John the Baptist, how that happened, why it happened. I'm going to skip past that and jump right into Mark chapter 6, verse 30. Mark chapter 6, verse 30, and we're going to pick up the remainder of the story here. So the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Remember, we saw Jesus send out the 12. That's A, the story of King Herod, who is Jesus, is B. Now back to A, the apostles returned to Jesus, told him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even Right, Jesus is becoming more and more popular. The crowds are gathering. He's become so busy, the Bible tells us he doesn't even have the ability to stop and eat. So he says to his disciples, listen, let's go off by ourselves. Let's go to a desolate place. Let's rest. Verse 32. So they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them, right? So Jesus is out in the boat. He's sailing on the Sea of Galilee. The people on the shore see him. They recognize him. They run ahead and kind of meet him when he lands there, verse 34. So when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. The hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. That's interesting to me. We're going to come back to that in just a few minutes. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass, so they sat down in groups by the hundreds and by the fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Now let's stop there just for a few minutes, and I want to pull out some truth that I want you to see, right? Herod wonders, who is this guy? Is he John the Baptist? Is he Elijah? Is he a prophet? The people that have followed Jesus are wondering who he is. How can he do these things? How can he speak with such authority? So I'm going to give you truth this morning based on this scripture that will answer this question, who is Jesus? 
First truth we see, number one, we have it on the screen. Jesus is our true shepherd. Now, use the word true because, believe it or not, there are false shepherds in the world. Did you know that? There are false idols. There are things that garner our attention. If we're not careful, there are a lot of things that will pull us away from where we need to be. Jesus is the true shepherd. Now, I want to tell you about this miracle. This is a fascinating miracle to me. Just a little bit of history, a little bit of background. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The three synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are very similar. John is a little different. But of the four Gospels and all the miracles that Christ performed and all the things we can read about Jesus, there are only two miracles that are found in all four Gospels. Let me say that again. There are only two miracles that are found in all four Gospels. One of them is the resurrection. You can imagine why. The other miracle that's found in all four Gospels is the feeding of the 5,000. In fact, it's in Matthew 6, it's in, excuse me, it's in Mark 6, Matthew 14, Luke 9, John 6. You can go read it later on this afternoon if you want to. And they all give basically the same account of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And this is an interesting question for us because we understand why the resurrection would be in all four Gospels. That makes sense to us. Why would the feeding of the 5,000 be there? Well, we would say probably because it demonstrates the deity of Christ, it demonstrates the power of Christ, demonstrates the authority of Christ. It's the largest single miracle he ever did. I mean, most of the miracles were one person, two people, small little groups that have 5,000 men. By the way, plus the, the women, their wives, plus all the children. Some scholars say it could be as high as twenty-five or 30,000 people. It's the largest single miracle he did. Now, all these things are interesting, right? His deity, his power, his ability to perform miracles for all these people. But I think there's something else at play here. And this is where we need to understand. This is important. Right. Mark is writing to a first century audience. We can never miss that. Sometimes we forget that Mark's writing to a group of Jewish people in the first century that did not know who Jesus was. So the point of the Gospels, Mark included, is to explain to these people who Jesus was. This is who Jesus is. Mark says this is what he did. This is what he accomplished. And so Mark is going to try to write to these Jewish people in the first century, helping them understand exactly who Jesus is. And one of the way Mark's, Mark has already done this, and we saw this earlier in the book, is to tie in the Old Testament accounts with the story and the life of Christ. And so Mark is going to kind of help us understand that this account, the feeding of the 5,000, is rich with Old Testament imagery and I believe there's a connection that Mark wanted the first century Jewish people to make and understand. So I want you to see it as well this morning. Now, I always fear when I get into something like this, this is, this is really exciting to me. And it kind of jazzes me up. I could probably talk about it for two hours. But I don't want to bore you to death. And so I'm always worried when I get into Old Testament history, we're going to get bored and it's going to get stale. And so just stay with me. I'm going to do my best to explain it. And I want you to make a connection here. Because it's the connection Mark wants to make to the Jewish people. It's a connection we still need to make today. And then there's an application for us I want you to see as we kind of work through it together. Okay, so let me give you just a little bit of history about the Exodus. Some of you know the story of the Exodus, but basically the story is the people of Israel were in captivity in Egypt for about 400 years. Right? God calls Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, hey, Pharaoh, you need to let the people go. We have the ten plagues. Eventually, Pharaoh says, listen, Moses, take all your people. Get out of here. The people of Israel walk out of Egypt after 400 years of captivity. Moses leads them through the wilderness. Many of you know that story. Now, I want to kind of make a connection for you 
based on several things we see in Mark chapter 6 and say to you that I believe the feeding of the 5,000 is a picture and a reminder of the Exodus. So big picture stuff. Let's think about this. Moses is a leader who takes a lot of people out of Egypt into the wilderness, right? We know that story. I want you to notice how Mark explains where Jesus and his followers are. He does it three separate times. One of the things you do when you try to understand and interpret Scripture is repetition. Right? What words are used over and over? What phrases are used over and over? We see an example in Mark chapter 6, beginning of verse 31. Pull that up if you would for me. Mark 6, 31. And he said to them, this is Jesus speaking, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest. Right? Look at verse 32. We're going to see a, a pattern here. And they went away in the boat to a, there's the word again, desolate place by themselves. Now look at verse 35. And when it grew late, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Most scholars say, listen, that word desolate in the New Testament and the idea of wilderness in the Old Testament are the same. So Old Testament, you've got this leader who leads a large group of people into a desolate wilderness place. Mark chapter 6, you've got Jesus, who's a leader, who leads a large group of people into a desolate wilderness place, right? That's kind of the first connection. Now, the Jewish people that would have read this in the first century, they're starting to see it. Something's going on here. Something's going on here to connect us to the Old Testament. There's more. You may remember when the people of Israel wandered through the wilderness, one of their largest complaints was food. In fact, over and over they said, listen, why, why don't you just take us back to Egypt? We'd rather be in captivity and have good food than stay out here in the desert and starve to death. And so you may remember the Lord provided for the people of Israel in the wilderness with manna. So the example is Exodus chapter 16, verse 14 to 15. You don't have to look it up. I just want you to listen. When the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And the people of Israel saw it. They said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it's the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. So you got this leader who takes the people of Israel into the wilderness. They complain about food. God provides bread for them to eat. You've got Jesus who leads this large group of people into a desolate wilderness place. The disciples complain there's no food. Jesus provides food for them to eat. All right, Numbers chapter 11, verse 13, Moses speaking to the Lord says, Where am I to get meat to give all these people? For they weep before me. Give us meat that we may eat. The disciples complain, Jesus, where are we going to find food to feed all these people? There's not enough money among all of us to get it and to go buy all the bread we need. How are we going to feed these people? So the Lord himself has to provide. Now, these are, these are I wouldn't say circumstantial, but these are interesting little connections that we're making. We're kind of beginning to see it. Maybe the light bulb's coming on just a little bit. But remember, we're writing to a Jewish audience here. A Jewish audience is going to understand the Exodus. They're going to remember the story of the Exodus. They're going to remember Moses. I mean, much of their faith is based on the past, what God did. They still have the celebrations. They still have the Passover that they celebrate. All to remember the faithfulness of the Lord in past. So we're going to see something now that's going to really make this connection for them. I want you to look at verse 40. Actually, pull up verse 39 for me first, if you would. Look at verse 39. So this is Jesus. He commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. Verse 40. So they sat down in groups by the hundreds and by the fifties. Now, this is interesting because for us, we just, we just 
graze right past that, right? Not a big deal. Hundreds and fifties doesn't mean anything. Why would Mark tell us that they sat in groups of fifties or groups of hundreds? It doesn't really matter to us. But to the first century Jewish person, they would have remembered the account of Exodus. You may remember when Moses had trouble foreseeing and, and, and kind of leading the people because there were so many of them. He got some really good, adv- good advice from his father-in-law that if he should divide the people of Israel into smaller numbers. I want you to listen to Exodus 18, verse 21. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands and of hundreds and of fifties. Isn't that interesting? I'm telling you, when the Jewish person in the first century heard this, they would have made the connection. And here's the connection they would have made. Listen, Moses came... He led a large group of people into the wilderness. He provided for them. He took care of them. But Moses failed, right? He couldn't get them to the wilderness. He couldn't get them to the promised land. In fact, if you remember the story, Moses was sinful. So the Lord took Moses up on the mountain, let him see the promised land, but never actually allowed him to go into the promised land. Joshua had to lead the people into the promised land. Right? The first century Jewish person would have seen. Listen, Moses took the people of the wilderness into out of Egypt into the wilderness, led them but failed ultimately to get them to the promised land. This guy now in Mark chapter 6 has led a group of people into the wilderness. He's taught them. He's provided for them. And oh, by the way, he has the ability now to take them into the promised land where they want to go. Right? The Jewish person in the first century would have said, this is Messiah. This is him. The long-awaited promise is now fulfilled in this man. What Moses could not do, Jesus has done. You see that? Now, we would expect the reaction of these people to be pretty incredible. right? If the light bulb came on and this is Jesus we've been waiting for, this is Messiah we've been waiting on, we would expect there to be a pretty incredible reaction. If you have your Bibles, hold your spot in Mark 6, flip back to John chapter 6. Just for a second, I want to show you something here. John chapter 6, right? Because these accounts run in all four Gospels, we can examine John, we can examine Matthew to understand a little bit more of the feeding of the 5,000. They've all got a little bit of different perspective, but the same basic truth. I want you to listen to what happens in John chapter 6. Excuse me. John chapter 6, verse 15. I want you to notice what happens, right? These people have recognized this as Messiah. They've made the connection with the Exodus in the Old Testament. John chapter 6, verse 15, Jesus perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Why would they want to take him and make him king? Because they thought he was the promised one. Right? The Jewish people for centuries had looked for a military leader or a, some sort of a powerful political leader who could stand on the throne, lead the Jewish people back into power, remove the Romans, and place the Jewish people, rightfully so, back on the throne, back in control. So when they see Jesus, they make this connection to the Exodus in the Old Testament. They believe Jesus is the called one, the promised Messiah. They want to basically grab him, the Bible says, and by force make him king. Now, Jesus understands that's not his calling. But he didn't come to be king. He came to willingly walk to Calvary and give his life on the cross for your sins. But they didn't understand this yet. They're still figuring it out. They're still trying to learn who Jesus is. Now I want to fast forward here about 2,000 years because the question for us is always, so what? <laughs> cool story, neat connection, like light bulbs are going off. I get it. I see how they now arrived at the conclusion that Jesus is Messiah. I see how Mark did that. That's really interesting to me. What does that mean for us today? 
If you remember when Jesus gets off the boat and he sees these people, he says, these are sheep without a shepherd, right? They don't know which way to go. They don't know what they're supposed to do. They need a leader. All through the New Testament, Jesus refers to himself as the shepherd. John chapter 11, for example. John chapter 10, verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Now, I want you to listen. This is an idea and an illustration that's hard for us to get because most of us, I think, have never been shepherds. I may be wrong, but I don't think we got a lot of shepherds in this room. So let me just read for you an account of the significance of a shepherd in the life of a sheep. No animal is as dependent upon a shepherd as a sheep. Without the shepherd, sheep wander aimlessly and get lost Without the shepherd to show them the good places to graze, sheep do not eat. Without a shepherd to lead them to water, sheep die of thirst. Without the shepherd, wolves can devour the sheep. Jesus viewed the people as helpless sheep. So Jesus comes to them and says, listen, I'm going to lead you through the wilderness. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to be the true shepherd that you need in your life. If you'll listen to me and obey my commands and follow me, I will lead you into the promised land. you understand that? Jesus is the true shepherd of the first century. He's the true shepherd of today. The problem is we've got so many things in our lives that vie for our attention. Sometimes we don't hear his voice. <laughs> I love going to Guatemala, and I've been a bunch of times. And I'm taking my whole family this time, and I'm so excited. It's the first time my younger two have been to Guatemala. They've been other places with me, but never to Guatemala. So we've been excited about this trip for a long time. And I love so many things about this trip, but one of the things I love about this trip it's when we first arrive in the village, right? We get on this bus. Uh, the, the way it works is we have to stay about an hour and 15 minutes outside of the village because the village is literally in the jungle. There's nothing there. I mean, there's no hotel. There's no store. There's no nothing. There's a single road that runs down the middle of the jungle, and that's it. So we drive for about an hour and 15 minutes to get there, and I joke with people the roads go from bad to worse. They're bad roads. And so we're on this bus, and we're riding into the village, and there's a certain point you kind of cross over a bridge, and you're kind of in the, not the, there's no city limits down there, but kind of the realm maybe of the village, kind of in the area of the village. And all of a sudden you begin to see in the jungle, and the jungle is just thick. There's vegetation everywhere. There are no side roads or none of that. There's just jungle. All of a sudden you begin to see children appear. Those of you that have been with us know how this plays out. And the, the children kind of pop out of nowhere. And you think you're in the middle of nowhere, and all of a sudden there's five kids over there. And they're yelling at us, gringos! So they say to us. Gringos! And we laugh and we wave back at him, right? But we're almost like the Pied Piper because as the week progresses, more kids come out, more kids follow us, and there's literally kids running behind the bus as we're going into the village and we're going out. And I see these kids and I see what we mean to them. And I, I read this account in Mark chapter 6 of Jesus on the seashore and people literally, the Bible says, running to meet him. And I wonder, I can't speak for you, I'm speaking for me. I wonder how different my life would be if I ran to Jesus at every chance I had. I just wonder. <laughs> like I just wonder if I could, like those kids in that jungle and like these people in Mark chapter 6, could forsake whatever's going on over here in the world that I think so important. If I could just forsake all those things and instead just run to Christ. You know, sometimes it takes us, and I, I guess maybe I can say this because I'm kind of in this process in my mind. Sometimes it takes us 40, 50, 60, 70 years to figure out that the things of earth don't matter like the things of Christ do. It's a process for us. But I just wonder if I could kind of say to the things of the world, I think you're important. I think you matter. But in the whole grand scheme of things, you don't and just run to Christ. 
You know, we, we always come back from Guatemala and people say something like this. You know, they say something like this. It was amazing how the Lord spoke to me when I was down there. Like I just sensed the presence of the Lord or I sensed his powerful, I sensed his, 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 his voice or I sensed his spirit in, in ways that I'd never sensed before. I don't know why that is, right? They can't quite figure it out. Like why does the Lord speak to me there in ways he doesn't speak to me here, right? And there's a lot of different answers, but I, I think at, at the core of all of it is because when you go on mission outside of the country, especially, you have to set everything else in the world aside. You just don't have time to think about all the other stuff that bogs you down here. And guess what? When you drown out the noise of the world, you can hear the voice of the Lord. Pretty cool, huh? He says, listen, I'm, I'm the true shepherd. Pull that first point back up, please. He said, I'm the true shepherd. There's a lot of false shepherds there's a lot of people that will lie to you and trick you and deceive you and try to pull you in different directions. Jesus says, listen, I'm the true shepherd. My sheep hear my voice and follow me. Now, let's continue. We've got a lot to see here still. We've still got a little time. Let's keep going. Mark chapter 6, verse 35. So it was growing late. The disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. The hour is late. Send them away into the countryside and villages to buy them something to eat. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. We're going to come to that in just a minute, I promise. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. So five loaves, two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing and broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Here's the second thing I want you to see this morning. Jesus is the true shepherd, yes. But Jesus is also all-powerful. We don't need to forget that. Jesus takes two loaves. And by the way, just so we're clear, we think about a loaf of bread, right? Something like this with a lot of different slices in it. We make a sandwich out of it. But a loaf in the first century for a group of impoverished Jewish people was probably more like a small little roll, like a biscuit. So five biscuits, two small fish. Jesus multiplies that and feeds 5,000 men, probably another 5,000 women, and then probably 10, 15, 20,000 children. 20, 25, 30,000 people eat off of five biscuits and two fish. It's laughable almost, isn't it? But we see the power of Christ. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to think through this together because I just want to talk about the power of Christ and all he can do without figuring out kind of what that means for us. So I'm going to give you four things that will help you understand this four thoughts of why serving an all-powerful Christ matters, how we can apply it to our lives. We have it on the screen. The first one I want you to see, based on the power of Christ, number one, our expectations of Jesus are too small. That's one of the implications of this text. Right? What we think about Jesus is always too small. We just don't think he can accomplish. We don't think he can do. We don't think he's strong enough. He took five biscuits and two small little fish and fed twenty five to 30,000 people. I promise you he can deal with the problems you have in your life. Second truth we see, or the second kind of implication, is that he can do great things with the smallest of resources, including people. Right? So many people say, I'm not smart enough, or I don't know enough of the Bible, or I don't have this or that, or I'm not good enough, whatever. I can't do whatever the Lord calls me to do. That's a lie. It's not about the resources you have. It's about your faith in Christ. Did you understand that? It makes no sense that he took five biscuits and two fish 
and fed 30,000 people. Doesn't, doesn't make sense in our minds. But what we see is that Jesus can take even the smallest of resources, including people, and do incredible things with them. And so stop, stop focusing on the lack of resources you have and instead focus on the power of Christ that abides within you. A third kind of implication is that Jesus uses his followers to help accomplish his mission. We're the hands and feet of Jesus. Now, I love this. I've mentioned it two or three times already this morning. I promise I'm going to get back to it, and I want to show it to you now. Jesus could have very easily said these disciples come up to him and say, Jesus, we don't have any food. There's all these people. Send them home to get something to eat. Jesus could have very easily at that moment just rained food down from heaven, right? Like cloudy with a chance of meatballs kind of raining food down from heaven. Three of y'all have seen that movie, I guess, right? <laughs> kids, cloudy with a chance of meatballs, right? We've seen it. I've seen it like 50 times because my kids love it. There's this guy that creates this machine that makes food and it rains down from the skies, like food everywhere. Big steaks and meatballs. That's why it's cloudy with a chance of meatballs, right? You should go watch it. It's a funny movie. Jesus could have done that if he wanted to. That could have been real. But instead of doing that, he goes to his disciples and he says, why don't you feed them? Right? It's kind of like handing the keys of the car to the kid after you've trained them long enough to drive, and eventually you just kind of say, here are the keys, you go do it yourself. Jesus is saying to these guys, listen, I've already shown you that it can be done. I've already given you power and authority to cast out demons and to preach repentance. You've already done those things. You've got everything you need. You've got the power of the Spirit living within you. You have all the power you need. Why don't you go and do it? Jesus wants to use us to accomplish his purposes. The problem is, for far too many people, we don't have the faith to let him do it. Jesus says, listen, I'm I'm passing the torch. I'm training. I'm discipling. By the way, just a little side note. Who are you handing the keys of the kingdom to that's younger than you? It's a question you ought to ask. Like, who am I training? Who am I discipling so that when one day I'm gone, there's somebody that will come behind me and continue the things the Lord has started in me? And then fourthly, the fourth thing we see, kind of the idea of trusting Christ and his power, is that we need to have an eternal perspective. These disciples had an earthly perspective. They didn't get it. They're like, we need 200 denarii, which is probably about a year's wage. Okay, so figure out whatever you make in a year. That's the amount of money you would have had to spend to feed all these people. They had an earthly mindset, an earthly answer. Jesus says, listen, it's not about the money. It's about faith. It's about trusting. Right? I just wonder how our, how our, our kind of spiritual lives would really explode if we quit living life based on an earthly economy and instead lived based on an eternal economy. You understand the difference? Like we're very limited in this world. We're very limited with our resources. We're very limited in our thought. Christ is not. Jesus says, listen, if you'll have an eternal perspective, you'll be amazed at what happens and what changes and what I can do. Now, I've got to finish. Look at verse 41 again. Just a couple more minutes here. So taking the five loaves and the two fish, looked up to heaven, said a blessing, broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples, set before the people, and he divided the two fish among them all. Now, if you're taking notes, you ought to underline verse 41 and circle this final word. They all ate and were, there it is. They all ate and were what? Satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Here's truth number three. Jesus is our provider. And watch this now. This is right out of verse 42. When we trust him 
and follow him and allow him to work, not only is he going to give us everything we need, all eight, but we're going to be satisfied in what he does. See, there's all sorts of places we go to try to find satisfaction in this world, isn't there? All sorts of ways that we try to fulfill things in our life that we think we need. Jesus says, listen, I've got the answer. It's right here in me. And if you'll just trust me, if you'll just follow me, I'll give you everything you need and you'll be satisfied when I do it. Jesus says, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to direct you. And when I do it, I'll give you, as the Bible says, the desires of your heart. I just wonder how many of us are living our life based on the truth of Christ. Like, is Jesus our shepherd? Are we listening to his voice? Are, are we recognizing his power in our lives? Are, are we trusting him in, in all things? Are we seeing him as, as our provider? Do we find satisfaction in him? I just want, I want to leave with this idea. Trust Christ. <laughs> Follow his voice. Find satisfaction in him, and he will bless you beyond measure. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. It's challenging and exciting. Father, it's so interesting to see the connection with the Old Testament. But Lord, we understand through the power of Christ and working this great miracle that there's truth for us to hear and understand as well, Father. We understand Jesus is our, our, or our true shepherd, that he's all-powerful, that he's our provider. And Lord, we pray that we can trust him more and more, that we can find joy and hope and peace and satisfaction in the things of the Lord. And so, Father, I just ask you just to use us. Just allow us to take this truth, apply it to our lives, and do all the things you've called us to do for your honor and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. The altar is open. Love to speak to you about salvation or about membership to this church. You come and pray. You respond as we sing together this morning. Where would I Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.